Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Watching the Boxes Fantasy Basketball Podcast, hosted by HashtagBasketball.com, your home for the very best fantasy basketball tools and analysis on the internet. Go check them out, HashtagBasketball.com. I'm your host, Mike Katrin, and joining me as always is Tyler Watts, but joining us today is a very, very special guest, not Josh McCown's brother. I'm talking about Kyle McEwen from Basketball Monster. What's going on, Kyle? Mike, thanks for having me on. What's up, Tyler? Good day. It's a good day, gentlemen. I'm glad that you're both here. We're going to talk some basketball, some fantasy basketball. should be a great time. This podcast is a, a, you know, a yearly tradition almost at this point. We should probably do it more than annually. Um, this is a an old school leftover from a uh, a dear a dear departed friend, the Daily Bas- Fantasy Basketball Podcast from Mark Roberts. Maybe we should even get Mark on the show one of these times and have an old reunion show. We should. I actually I hit Mark up like at the beginning of the uh, preseason or shortly before it and i said hey man we should just do uh, like a one-off show together this this year and, and you know just post it and be like whatever but then i went i i was desperately trying to figure out how to record a dang show these days because i used to just do it all through google hangouts and that was like it uploads to youtube automatically and then you can just export it as an mp3 blah 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 it's all so easy it's not available and so i i, I did i was like i haven't even talked to mark about it in like a month because uh, I just I don't know how to record a podcast anymore. I've, I, I guess I've uh, I've aged out of it. The demise of uh, Google Hangouts really threw us for a loop as well. Um, we figured out a little bit of a workaround here on Discord. Um, and uh, we're actually trying to open it up where if we get enough Patreons on patreon.com slash watching the boxes, we're going to make this like a live show um, and have people to be able to like chat with us while we're doing the show, which I thought would be kind of interesting. But if you and Mark want to come on the show, uh, we'll just have an, an old reunion show. I'm I'm down. I'll I'll contact Mark, see what he's up to. Man, let's do it. This is so exciting that you're even willing to schedule this. Like in the 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 mid the start of this podcast, like we haven't even gotten into talking about fantasy basketball yet, and you're like, let's talk about the next podcast we're gonna do together, pal. Let's just cancel this podcast. Do another podcast. Uh, we should talk about fantasy basketball. It is almost NBA season. Like the it's less than a week away. Everybody's drafts are either like right now or coming up this weekend. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of go do a little bit of a roundtable of how we like to prep for our drafts, what kind of maybe what kind of particular leagues we like, um, uh, what what kind of settings, auction, roto, etc. How do we prepare for the different types of leagues there are out there? Um, Almost like a, you know, I'll call it like a, uh, like a roundtable on the state of fantasy basketball since we are the authorities probably well, i'll kick this off with my oh, with the question for you guys um what what tyler and then mike what leagues do you prefer like what's your what's your favorite kind of league to play in and if you if you maybe have you know if you enjoy different formats i guess maybe why do you uh, enjoy the different formats i feel like i love to just play in a kind of traditional eight cat uh, head-to-head, 12 teams, maybe even 14. I like it a little bit deeper. Um, I feel like that's probably my go-to settings. Um, Mike's going to say he loves Roto. Let, let's just get into Mike's Roto, Roto debate here. 
Listen, Roto is the traditional way of playing. Uh, I, I just, I think there's a game within the game of Roto where you're not just trying to win the week, but you're trying to win the entire league and you're making trades to make other players better in certain categories in order to, you know, maybe scrape some points off the people in front of you. Like there's multiple games. I just think it's more layered than a, a straight up, I got to win five categories this week and every week. So I'm going to stream a bunch of players and that's, I'm going to game chase in my way into the playoffs. Like that's exciting and cool. Like I play in those leagues. I enjoy them, but um, I prefer like the, the traditional, a little bit more strategic Roto leagues. And honestly, I kind of like shallower leagues than I like deeper leagues. I'm not afraid to admit it. That's understandable. I mean, the, my deeper leagues, they just feel like less fun because there is less, uh, of an ability to stream uh, meaningful players. Um, yeah, I, I, I prefer head-to-head more than anything just because it's what I was kind of indoctrinated to, but it's also because there is a, a an unknown as you go through the playoffs. You might get screwed and lose in the first round, or you might get lucky and beat a team that's better than you in the finals. So it's... um And it's, it's exciting to watch on Sunday night as you're going head to head against somebody and it's coming, you know, your championships coming down to whether or not you're going to tie in a category or you're, you know, you're going to get an extra rebound from a certain player in the, in the fourth quarter of the final game of the night. And there's, there's nothing better than sitting there and it's so dumb, but I'm sure every fantasy players had that, that experience where you're sitting there and you're just watching the box score and you're watching for that extra stat to come up in the draft or in the stat tracker on Yahoo or somewhere. So yeah, man, it's fun. I've, I've lost some leagues on a free throw and I've, I've won some leagues on some turnovers and, and including Roto leagues on the last night I've seen Roto league switch. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty great. If someone was like just starting out with fantasy basketball, they're like, Hey, I'm really into the NBA, Kyle. Um, and then they like stopped you on the street and you're like, why are you talking to me? What kind of league would you suggest them to start? Like, Oh, my friends are kind of into it. I'm into the NBA. What kind of, what kind of setting should I set it up at? If you're playing with a bunch of friends, it's probably funnest to play head to head. But if you're getting into a league with maybe a bunch of people you don't know, then it might be better to play rotisserie just because rotisserie is more fair. And, uh, mainly because it's, you know, you're, you're not, you're not getting lucky or unlucky in a, a weekly matchup in the playoffs that you might lose. You are you are in total control of understanding what stats you have on your team, how that should play out through the season. The fact that you have the limitations of uh, you know an 82 game limit and your active spots for most standard rotisserie leagues, and um, you know there's other nuances to rotisserie too that like acknowledging that. As you uh, go throughout the year, people's percentages are going to solidify. So if you don't come out of the draft or quickly trade for good percentages, um, and I think the best target percentages are probably 48% field goal and then somewhere from like 78 up to like 82% is where I usually see free throw. But if you're if you're getting 80, 78% or better on free throw, you're usually pretty good. Those are those are the targets that like you should be thinking about with your team. You know, you can't go out and get. I, I, I'm not taking a Terry Rozier in in a rotisserie league this year because I don't want him to potentially shoot sub forty percent, and then I have to try to make up that eight percent after he's shooting on a high volume as well. 
So, um, yeah, it's rotisserie is awesome. Uh, I guess another kind of strategy thing to maybe mention for people, if, if since we're talking about it, is the idea that as you go through the season, while the percentages get more solidified due to the higher number of volume or attempts, uh, shots that have been taken throughout the year and made, um, you also have an opportunity to gain in a lot of the counting stats because some teams are going to stop paying attention. They're going to stop setting their lineup. They're going to have injuries that they ignore or don't move to the IR. So then they've got games getting missed that just don't get played. And that it happens in almost every rotisserie league, even the the ones, you know, that I play with experts, like sometimes the guys that are at the bottom end of the rotisserie draft or just are uh, standings or just came out of the draft poorly. They end up, kind of giving up on the league in some respects. I don't know about you guys, but do you feel kind of similar that counting stats and rotisserie are something that you can kind of gain later or, or kind of game and, and look to stream in kind of from bench guys or even just to take advantage of, um, like, say, say somebody gets injured and you're like, well, shoot, I guess I have to roll with what I got, so I'll just grab a specialist off the wire and start getting a bunch of steals from somebody. No doubt. I feel like in any Roto League I've ever played in, I feel like the last couple teams pretty much, no matter what, late in the season just kind of go, yeah, I don't really feel like setting this lineup, whether it's they've got too many leagues or they just don't really care anymore. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Roto's a kind of a dedicated, probably a little bit more of a uh, a veteran type of uh, league to, to just jump into. And so why that, that makes sense for people to go – head to head but uh when you when you in when you go into a draft you you really kind of have to approach head to head and roto very very differently how i prefer it is when i'm looking at um a roto league i'm looking at per game value and i'm looking at a head to head league i'm looking at total value and i know some people have kind of like a the actual the opposite look on those things uh, but Kyle, when you're going into uh, a league, head to head or roto, you know how are you approaching it? How are you preparing for it? Uh, you know, you got Let's say you got a draft in a couple of days. Are you doing a thousand mock drafts? Are you, you know, I know you got your own projections, so that's that's already taken care of. How you uh, how how are you pre- prepping uh, for those drafts? I know I to anybody who doesn't know, I work over at Basketball Monster, and I do uh, a an additional set of projections that we have our main set that's managed by Josh uh, Josh Lloyd, Red Rock B Ball, on Twitter, and um, you know from Lockdown Fantasy Basketball Podcast, uh, and um, I do the I do an additional set over there, so I'm I'm constantly inundated with the news and everything. So in that regard, like I'll often just do my drafts on my phone. I'll get into the I do most of my drafts on Yahoo. I do some of them on, on fan tracks. Um, then, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll have a league over on ESPN, but it is what it is. Um, Yahoo. I don't want to say anything bad, but it's just, you know, try not to, but it's trash. It absolutely. Well, trash, it's just, uh, it's just, there was, um, it's, it's just, it, it doesn't seem to be as, uh, as easy to use as like Yahoo's. So, Look, on the tech side, it just doesn't seem like ESPN has invested the amount of time that they should for fantasy basketball. It always gets treated like the the wicked stepchild um, because it's so close to the to the first couple weeks of fantasy football that it like nobody wants to touch 
anything to do with fantasy basketball at a lot of the bigger companies until after fantasy football gets started. It's just like, uh, that's a little late pals. Well, yeah, the projections are always like very late and then they're like suspiciously updated after some of the other sites end up updating theirs. And then like the writers for some of the, uh, from the articles are like, you go look at it on their, like you go to their Twitter and you're like, Oh, this guy just does football. Like, uh, they bring anybody for basketball in here or whatever. And then, you know, you'll see really weird rankings. I think ESPN is consistently has some of the, the most off rankings. Oh, dude. Uh, I mean, if, if you, if you have a league on ESPN, there's, it's ripe for getting a great draft. As long as you're not drafting with other people who know to, you know, cycle through and go find Fred Fanfleet at like 160 or whatever they, wherever they have them listed and, and all the other guys that they have super deep there. Or you also get help by when you have a guy like Deandre Jordan ranked in like the seventies or something like that, where he shouldn't be getting picked right now. It, it also helps because if somebody auto drafts for you or so it's, it's just, it's super important going into a draft to know what your, where your drafting is, what their rankings are, what to expect going as you get deeper into the draft. Um, and whereas like a, a site like fan tracks pretty much has had their, their draft rankings settled for, the most of the the preseason we've seen yahoo get updated um almost weekly um this season right. and that's been kind of difficult because where what the default draft rankings are on the site is going to heavily influence who can who falls to you and just in general who's available um and then it's and then and then if they're changing them all the time, you'll have a weird situation where like they came out and Derek Favors started on Yahoo's rankings at like, you know, 80s or something like that. And then they put him up to the, like into the like 38 and then they finally dropped him back down to the 60s. And you're just like, well, yeah, finally, you got him close to where he should be about, you know, based on the risk, but also the upside. Um, but it was it, it just leads to such a. uh it's just so important to understand where you're drafting and what the rankings are there. Do you, do you think that kind of like pre-draft gaming, I always suggest to people uh, to like go in, especially if you're doing like a new site, go in and set your queue and set your queue almost immediately and set like, you know, 70, 80 players at your queue because I just did a CBS draft and I was like very overwhelmed with the interface. Uh, the queue wasn't as uh, intuitive as some of the other sites. And then like Jared Allen ended up going at like 99 and I was like, damn, I didn't even see him on my list. Like I couldn't, like I had to go through like four or five pages to find Jared Allen. So um, do you think though that game before the game where you're like, oh, I can game the system. All these other people are just going to go by the rankings that are sitting in front of them. That if sites were more um, kind of like fantasy football, where like most of the rankings are very, very similar and they're well-informed and it levels the playing field for both amateurs and pros, even though we're like, we know what we're talking about. Do you think that would make fantasy basketball more accessible? Um, just, just in general. I mean, if the rankings were more similar, like kind of like uh, Yahoo is updating them weekly and trying to get them as close to um, consensus as possible. Well, yeah. So Yahoo you can't exploit has it, the but default. Then, like, yeah. Default nine cat, so that they're including turnovers. So that's going to lean more towards guys like, um, 
you know, the, the analysis you're going to get from like Roto World podcast and, and a lot of the Roto World guys because they they lean towards a strategy that centers around nine category basketball. Whereas like at Basketball Monster, um, Josh and I constantly talk about, OK, even if you're playing in a nine category league, especially for head to head, you're you're pretty much you're punting turnovers because it's just an atrocious stat. And it's really just included for, I think, out of tradition for a lot of people or because they want an extra category so that they don't have those four to four ties where it's just like it's a it's a terrible category. It's it's turnovers is mostly just corresponding with the players who have the ball in their hands the most time, which is the best players. I don't want to have to avoid the best players to avoid turnovers when I'm playing fantasy basketball. I want to be able to draft my favorite players. So um are not my favorite players, but the best players best and players, the best yeah. players are the ones who have the ball in their hands and who have turnovers. So anyways, are you, um, are you pro turnover, Tyler? Uh, no, I don't like to play in leagues with turnovers. I just feel like, you know, look at last year, like James Harden led the league in turnovers and he was, you know, the second best or maybe even the best player. Like, I just feel that turnovers come kind of, kind of take away from, I don't want any real negative stats. Like I see leagues all the time where they have a stat that's kind of a, a negative I'm not a fan of any negative stats. I want only good stats, only positive stats in my league. This is like the biggest uh, controversy. I am pro turnover. Turnovers suck. Like it's not a good category. You're hundred percent right that it sucks as a category. I just don't know where else we go. Uh, a cat just doesn't seem like a full, like a thing full is, deck. I enjoy playing in nine cat rotisserie leagues as much as I will rally against turnovers as a category. I do acknowledge the tradition of playing in that kind of a league and just of taking in, taking it into account because in rotisserie leagues, especially standard ones, I don't generally uh, believe in punting a category. Although um, somebody was making a really good argument on basketball monster last week about punting assists in rotisserie um, and how they've won just a crap ton of, of leagues doing that because they're always awesome in turnovers because they're not worried about assists and and it allows them to, to really stack up on all the other categories while also getting good percentages uh, because they're not worried about getting assists at the detriment of their field goal percentage. So it's interesting. And I, I might try that in a, in a rotisserie league that I'm drafting this Saturday. It is interesting. Well, assists are becoming more rare as the, uh, I guess the game opens up into a little bit more positionless basketball. There's not the, traditional point guard pounding the ball all day and night. Um, like they're, they, I think they're just spread out to different positions because look at how many power forwards are becoming like the primary assist guys for their teams. Yeah. And then like, it's, it's just everybody, everybody's supposed to be able to do a little bit of everything. You know, we've got a starting center on the, the nuggets. That's the primary assist guy. And, and that might become Carl Anthony Towns for the on the Timberwolves this year. Although it's starting to look more like they're going to at least have Jeff Teague play a pseudo point guard. Now, at very first preseason game for the Timberwolves, Jeff Teague came out and had like zero or one assist. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but I was just looking at it. and I'm like, holy crap! Are they? Are, I know they were talking about making Carl Anthony Towns the James Harden of their team, but like this is absurd if they're going to essentially turn Jeff Teague into a shooting guard. Like why the hell are you even starting him then? So, um, but things have changed a little bit in the, uh, the game plan, I think as, uh, as the preseason rolled on. I, um, 
it's well, Carl Anthony Towns is like kind of a freak of nature. He he runs around screens like he's Kyle Corver and hits step back threes. Like he's there's just something uh, aggressively unique about Carl Anthony Towns. Um, since assistler like assists are getting rarer, three pointers are getting very very common. You know, I think someone like CJ McCollum, if you look at his stats over the last four years, they've basically stayed the same except for like some discrepancies in his percentages. Yeah, his ranking continues to fall every year. What do you want me to say about CJ McCollum? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a strong hate for CJ. Oh, I, I, I wish he, I wish he would go to another team and be the primary point guard because, as great as it's been to watch Portland and Damian Lillard and whoever's playing with Damian Lillard exceed my expectations for for their ceiling as a team. Um, throughout his career, I still kind of just kind of I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. I'm like, okay, when when do they trade one of these two? And I don't think you trade Damian Lillard because he's an icon there, but CJ McCollum should be a he's Steph Curry light. He's not that far off Steph Curry. I, um, I would like to see more defensive contributions from from CJ McCollum, but that's kind of like from a selfish fantasy perspective in, in some respects. I don't, I don't disagree. Um, here at um, watching the boxes, we kind of don't preach going into a head to head draft with a punting strategy in mind at all. Like take the best player available. Um, are you a let's punt from the get go type of uh, approach to head to head? Or uh, how, like, how do you approach punting strategies when you get when you get into a head-to-head league? It kind of depends on who you get in the first couple rounds, but that also is largely contingent upon where you're drafting. Um, I drafted a head-to-head league earlier, and I don't know it was it was a it was a mock draft, but um, most of the time in my head-to-head leagues, I like to I like to understand where players are ranked in in an eight-category context for head-to-head. I don't give a crap what turnovers would do I'm, pun- I'm punting that if if they are part of it in head to head um but then i will also punt as far as looking at a set of rankings i'll also punt field goal percentage and free throw percentage and that's from the perspective and to have a reference of those rankings it's not to ardently follow them um it's just to understand Okay, if if all I'm worried about is getting the six positive counting stats in head to head because I want to be as thick in those counting stats as I can be, drafting essentially best player overall throughout most of the draft, then with you know at least an understanding of I'm trying to get just stacks of as of the counting stats across the board, um, I'll, I'll do that for head to head. I won't worry about the percentages. Like if, if Andre Drummond comes to me at a, a spot that I think is fair, I want him because he's going to post just ridiculous rebounds and him in three to four games in a weekly matchup for head to head can get, you know, can really help you in a huge way to win that rebounding position. He can also help as a center in steals and blocks and uh, assists when Blake Griffin's out of the lineup, his assists go up. So, uh, you know, there's the potential for him to score a little bit, you know, 20 points on a, on a, on a night. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the way I look at head to head more than anything is I definitely value the counting stats more than anything. And then I, uh, you know, but that's not to say that like, 
there's so many head to head's great because everybody has their preferred punt strategy. I just like to use that as my general head to head thing because it's it's worked for me in the past going into expert leagues and 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 not you know a lot of people will have guys on their do not draft list like an Andre Drummond because of the free throw percentage or or they won't want to take Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball in a punt percentages and punt free throw build is like the 25th player in my in my projections for this season. So he's ranked at like 91 on Yahoo and I take him around like I don't know, pick 50 or, you know, 50, 60 or something like that. Probably wait till 80 on, on Lonzo Ball. Well, you can't, you can't if you can't, if you're playing with somebody who. That's what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing about like talking about the fact that you you were kind of mentioning earlier, like you, you can, you can be in a league and you can take advantage of the, the, the league's rankings and whatnot. But if you're playing in a really good league, Everybody, you know, like if there's enough players or enough guys going through and filling their queue up, like you said to do, you're all going to be looking at the same things and and making the same decisions of, okay, wait, there's this many centers left. There's this many, you know, there's this many assist guys left. Wait, who's going to come back to me in in a round and a half when my pick comes back? Uh, Okay. Okay. Yeah, I got, I got to go with this guy right here. So Anyways. And that's always the main difference I see when, you know, it's it's guys like us playing in leagues against each other except ex- versus when I'm doing a mock draft. It's like, you know, I'm in mock drafts and I get a guy, you know, pick 80 or pick 90. And then, you know, when, when it's a lot of sharp people in the league, that person's going to pick 50. It completely changes the whole game. And so I think, you know, sometimes if your league is really sharp and really wise, like mock draft might not help you that much. You kind of really got to hone in on a set of rankings and, kind of expect that everyone else in the league is going to take the guys relatively where they should be taken and not where Yahoo or ESPN or Fantrax is saying they're going to go. Um, which is something I think that doesn't maybe get talked about enough is like, yeah, okay. We can say that this guy's going to go at pick 90, but we can all agree that he should go at 60 and in a sharp league, he's going to go at 60. I kind of wish that was the conversations we were having that, that you're talking about Kyle, where it's like, all right, is this particular guy going to get enough playing time? Is this the uh, right fit for my team at pick 87? Like, does it does it fit my my build right? Does it help me in these categories? Versus being like, hey, I know this guy was ranked 112, so I don't have to worry about him. Like, when you're in a sharp league, that that level the level playing field, I think that would help casual fans kind of come to the next level of strategy instead of having to get past that first hump. Okay. Um, I guess I have one, one question I keep thinking to myself is, a uh, potentially to ask you guys is where would you take all the injured players? And we can just quickly kind of go through them. But before we do that, I first want to know, where do you take Zach Collins? Ooh, that's a weird, uh, that's a weird turn. I was not expecting. Zach was, Collins I, I had one of these questions for you, Kyle. So I'm excited to ask you after you're, you're done with your list. Um, because there's a guy I've been a little bit divisive on, and I, I want to get your thoughts. But Zach Collins is an interesting guy for me because I still am not sure how much Zach Collins is is going to play. Um, I'm okay with Zach Collins, but I definitely don't want him at spots where I've seen him go in some other leagues. Um, I am probably more in the picking him in the 80s or 90s. Um, as opposed to like in the seventies, which I've seen him go. Oh, God, no way. Okay. I see. I thought I was going to be like 
shocking like the or or provocative by talking about taking him in the 80s and 90s but you're like yeah i was shooting like, around 100 yeah i think tyler might be a little higher on zach i just i think like he's gonna be very very good and he's got a lot of uh ability for playing the four and the five this season um so that the playing time is going to be there and i think he is a little underrated right now because he's going much later than that but uh i still think he's he's gonna be sharing like you know 27 minutes 20 like i don't think he's gonna approach 30 minutes i think a, an important thing to understand that like if if you're if you're new to fantasy basketball and you're in a draft um you know there are certain guys who should go at certain times in regard to like earlier in the draft but as you get into the middle rounds there's like a three round pocket where it's it's okay don't it's not a that that big of a deal if if a guy would have maybe gotten taken at 61 and you took him at 46 or maybe even 41 you know like it's not that big of a deal there's the 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 change in value or fluctuation that would alter those rankings can be can be like a minuscule amount of a you know somebody getting like a half a steal at more half a steal more than what we expected this year or playing an extra minute per game than we thought than 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 what we're projecting them for. So like the, like 40 to 60, just don't worry about it. And then as you get into like 90 and and lower for and maybe even like 85 and lower, you've you've gotten to a point where it's like and I'm talking like 85 to like 130, like a big, you know, 50 player like swatches of players, you know, maybe even 60 players worth of guys. Like it's just flyer time. So really you're looking for in in a lot of respects, I'm looking at guys and I'm going, okay, who do I who do I see here that I've got that I've put in my queue? Uh, what what positions do I need on my team? Potentially, what stats do I need? Potentially, um, but maybe even more importantly, like who do I think I'm not going to end up dropping from my team? So if I'm looking through, like Zach Collins is one of the guys that you get to a certain point in the draft after like after pick 80, you can start looking at Zach Collins. And I, I think you just, you see the other centers who are available, especially on Yahoo. Zach Collins is ranked, ranked like 134. You may, you know, a, a, somebody who's casually not really uh, understanding what, what new role might be available for Zach this year might see him ranked at 134 and go, he's too far down there. I can wait for him. No, you're not. You can't. Zach Collins is getting picked before pick 100 in almost every single draft I take. Like if I, if I've at, if I'm at pick 95 and he's there, I'm taking him. Um, and I took him at like 84 or 85 earlier in a draft, uh, the tonight. So it's, it's just, and the reason why it's okay to take him there is because you're looking at the available centers and the available players who provide blocks and potential rebounds, even though Collins might, not provide as much of that as we expect this season because he's going to be spending a lot of his time at power forward and starting there. Uh, likely, um, it, it's just it's just about who else is there. It's, it's looking at you know Marcus All, Larry Nance, Serge Ibaka, Jared Allen, um, all these guys who have kind of suspect roles or might be in limited roles off the bench or timeshares that we know about, and you know Cody Zeller, and it's just like Zach Collins has. I mean, they they pretty much cleared the path for him to, to be their starting power forward, and it, it looks like they're going to give him a, a long look there. Um, so, granted. Group you, I mean, that group you just listed, they all have very suspect uh, playing time, and if Zach Collins is, since he is a, a kind of a similar player, and if, even if he has suspect playing time, 
you're seeing a lot of those guys go in that 70 to to 90 range and that you kind of perfectly describe the the plateaus that we we talk about uh from that 45 to 75 range and then like 75 to like 110 range is that don't be afraid to reach down like the like you're saying a, a 0.2 steal here and a 0.3 rebound there and and suddenly that guy goes from you know 62 to to 55 and uh, i've seen a lot of in that fifth round just like a ton of people after um pick 50 almost everybody from pick 50 to pick 60 like 90 percent of them end up being guys i'm like all those guys are top 50 players like why are they going so late art rosen lamarcus aldridge like there's there's a ton of value in that fifth round i think that's really really weird this year I mean, I, I love the the Yahoo rankings from for some players like Alonzo Ball, who who comes out great with my punt percentages uh, rankings. Look, and same for Terry Rozier. Like, I'm not worried about his crappy field goal percentage. I don't want the dude in rotisserie, like I said earlier. But in head to head, I want Terry Rozier because he's going to give you great points. He's ranked at like 70 or something uh, on Yahoo, and he's a player who could, if you're punting the percentages, he comes out as like a top 35 player. So he's just, he's going to put up counting stats and, you know, it's, it's hard to get 20 plus point scores. Uh, the deeper you get into a draft. I kind of like your idea of ranking the injured players. Cause that's something we don't talk about a lot. Um, that every single player, every one of these players has a price. Like I would draft every single player in the league at some point. Um, it just depends on when. And I think, you know, let's just start right at the top with Paul George. I think he's been slipping in some of the later, uh, the, the recent mock drafts I've been doing. Uh, so this is a guy who was basically, you know, in the top five last season, uh, two soldier uh, shoulder surgeries. Um, I'm seeing him even slip into the third round. I feel like that's a little late. Where are you taking him, Kyle? Um he would have to be in in like the late third round for me to even consider him. I don't want to take really? a risk that early. There's too many other good players. Look, man, Chris Stapps Porzingis could end up a first round player this year if uh, everything goes right for him with the Mavs and his role. So, um, and yeah, I can like get him in that. the third round. I'm taking I'm taking Chris Stapps before I take Paul George, who's coming back from two shoulder surgeries. His job is to shoot the ball. Um, I don't like it. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm being too uh, fearful of the, of the situation, but there's also some ambiguity about his whole thing. He's going to be playing with Kawhi, who's going to be whispering in his ear, hey, man, it's okay. Just rest. We, we don't need you until July, man, which it's not good for fantasy. And, I mean, with George, too, you got to look at it this way, right? They've already rolled him out for 10 games. And then even if he comes back after 10 games, like he had no preseason, he's going to ramp up. So you're talking another probably 10 games of him playing less than 30 minutes. Then he's adjusting to a new team and a new rule, which can always be a little bit sketchy as far as, you know, like reaching your maximum production. So, I mean, I'm okay with, I actually honestly have been picking Paul George a little bit in the early third round if he's there, but I'm fine with being a little afraid and I'm, I'm sometimes afraid of anybody who's already hurt just in the sense that, you know, setbacks happen all the time with players. And, you know, if, if your guy's the person who has the setback, you know, the earlier you take that player, the more, 
damaging that definitely is to your team. It's one thing to get unlucky. It's another thing to like, you know, I, I don't know, hurt unluckiness. <laughs> like I I took Andrew Bynum one year in the second round when he was dealing with some stuff in the preseason. And I thought, no, oh, no, he proved he was healthy last year. He's fine. He's not going to have any issues. Andrew Bynum. Is that the Philly he, year? The the one he, the one year he was supposed to be good for Philly when he first got traded? Because I think I picked him in the second round that year. And then uh, I don't think he played a game. That's like the most depressing. Like that's like the most depressing year to go back and look at for fantasy basketball for me in my in my you know like Yahoo uh, history. That's that was definitely that. a rough year. Yeah, um, it's it just makes me. It's like I'm not dry, like it's one thing if I'm looking at Kawhi and saying, all right, there's all these narratives that suggest that he's going to play more then you convince yourself this or that, or you're playing in a rotisserie league and you're like, well, I can manage the games that he misses more evenly. Like, like I'm not taking Kawhi in a head to head league. And I don't believe all this mess about him suddenly being healthier and playing in all of these more games because we've already seen it in the preseason with him resting all already, already being load managed. I mean, they're already calling it load management. It's ridiculous, no, no, man. Like, I, I just think though, once you get like once you get into that middle of that third round, and, and Kawhi Leonard sitting there, I'm like, I think that's insane oh. for him not to go. Yes, even in a in a head to head yes. league, because you, there's still value. Like same with Paul George, there's still value to these players, even somewhat injured, as long okay, as they're going I to play at some point during the season where they're going to start putting up top ten types of numbers. They become now valuable as either a trade asset, even though people be like, well, they're an injured trade asset, still a trade asset. What was Kawhi tradable for last year? Because if he's resting Ooh, every single back-to-back, -back, trading him in head-to-head is going to be really hard. Like, you're going to have to take, head -head. take back less. Yeah, definitely. You're going to have to take back less. Well, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're looking at like third round... So, if you're looking at, like, third-round players, like, I wouldn't... like. Who would have traded Andre Drummond last year for Kawhi Leonard? Nobody would have done it. No, no, I think that's okay. too that's too early. Oh, well, second rounds out of the. Out, I I took Kawhi in a rotisserie uh, draft at, at pick twelve because, yeah. look, man, picking at pick twelve in a rotisserie draft like there's not much left there. Uh, percentages are so important. Um. Yeah, talking about rotisserie strategies just very quickly in the second round if you've got that back end of the first round pick in the second round at the start i'm i'm willing to take deandre ayton at like you know 13 14 15 whatever it is there that you're at because the fact of the matter is there's just not great percentages guys the deeper you get into the draft so i and and at the end of the third round <laughs> you're not there's nobody like a deandre ayton's in there Oh, there's no Vujovic's, there's no DeAndre Aiden's, and even past that, then there's like there's zero guards past, you know, kind of like 50, 60 that I, I, I terribly care but about. But I love getting Shea Gilgis Alexander in a rotisserie in like the fourth Ooh. or fifth round. So, yeah, that's about right. Fourth or fifth round, I would say. Um, well, it and it depends on who you're like, it depends on who I'm drafting with. If I was drafting in a league with like just whoever you know a bunch of randoms that i don't know i would hope to get shea gill just at like the fifth or fifth round or so but if i'm playing against 
the you know guys that I know who are in the industry who talk him up a lot, then there are some guys over like at you know at Roto World who definitely lean more towards the the nine cat guy uh, ratings too, who will go after Shea in like the third or fourth. So like it just gets to a point where it's like if I have a fourth round pick before Jonas Nader does, I'll make sure to get him so that because I'm knowing that he's Shea Gill just isn't going to come back until the fifth. Tyler, you've been talking him up a lot. Shea Gillis Alexander up a lot this season. I mean, I just feel like the role's there and he's just a really good player. And I feel like, you know, it was one of my better calls last year that, you know, after the all-star break, he was going to be um, a really valuable fantasy asset. So I'm, I'm still on board. I can't, can't leave the train. Um, let's talk about the other two kind of like major injury guys. Uh, Victor Oladipo being the extended one that we know about probably not coming back until January. Uh, I think that for a head-to-head league, that's that's pretty killer. Just don't know when he's coming back. Like, he might be back, you know, by December. Who knows? We don't, we don't know when he's going to be back. And, um, and I don't know how long it's really going to take him to... Like if they when they bring him back, is he going to be pretty much ready to go? Is is it going to be, you know, just three weeks of getting back up to to tip top shape, and then all of a sudden he's playing thirty two minutes a night, or is it going to be, hey, we're the Pacers and uh, we've got depth at shooting guard and on the wing this year, so it's not a big deal if he doesn't play thirty two minutes. We'll keep him at thirty the whole damn season, like. There's a lot of risk with with Victor Oladipo and even his per game numbers this season. Look, he when he was like a what was it top twenty player uh, two years ago, it was because he was getting steals at a a career high rate that has dropped back off. And unless his steals go back up to that obscene rate that he was getting them at, he's simply going to be closer to like a top fifty five player and not a top 25 player. So that's per game, but, and that's with like, you know, uh, expectation of like 31 minutes a night. So it's, it's just hard to, if you're going to draft him, I don't think you should really be targeting him into, until you get to a point where you feel like for one thing, you better have like two IR spots because you're going to have to be hanging on to him for a long time. And in a, daily changes head to head league that you need to be rotating in, or you just need healthy bench players to be rotating into your active spots to compete. Um, you need them. You can't not have good be- or, you know, competent bench players rotating in, in, in daily head to head leagues. If you try that's to do it, big... you will not compete. Well, yeah, that's the Sorry. big difference is that Franklin. Paul. Oh no. Paul George is an elite player. Oladipo is, you know, kind of one of those upper tiers, but like a little bit off here, a little bit off there. And he becomes one of those, like, you know, a below top 50 guys. And when you're talking about a below top 50 guy, he's very replaceable with guys in the sixties, guys in the seventies. And so you're missing a half a season with him and head to head. I almost think you have to be close to the 90 range, like late eighties, early nineties to take him in a, in a roto league. Uh, maybe another add add another round of that, maybe eighth round or uh, essentially like I I'd want to, I'd want to have my, my, my 10 active spots filled up before I was targeting him, which is, is not a reasonable ex- expectation for where to get all the depot. So 
Um, and, and that's just based off of how much we don't know um, in regard to his return. You know, we're talking about all this. And then I, and, and like, in general, like my, my sentiment is like, look, I still, I, I, Zach Collins is somebody who I feel like is just going to have a, a good role. So he's kind of the end of the, okay, these guys are going to have really good roles. Maybe, maybe you include Dario Sharich in that. I mean, there's a lot of guys who I think are going to have good roles. I don't know if they're going to actually put up consistently good production, but they're definitely worth flyers in the, in the final, final rounds. Um, but like there, there just comes a certain point where it's like, okay, I'm willing to take a risk on somebody. And for the most part, I don't want to take too big of a risk. I take enough risks as it is by trying to project out development for players that I think are going to give me a value. That's maybe not apparent to a lot of other people or, or that they maybe just don't see the same development coming Um, to the point that like assuming an injured player, it just it'd be one thing if we knew that Oladipo was going to come back when he's supposed to come back. But if there's any ambiguity in it, that's where I just I'm like, then I just I don't want to take the risk until I feel like the other guys I'm I'm missing out on for a round by taking this guy are are not that big of a deal to miss out on. And unfortunately, like I have enough faith in a, a lot of guys' roles this season in regards to my perceptions of them that I I feel like I'm. I'm not going to want to target Oladipo until long after somebody else has already taken him, which is probably closer to like pick 100. Yeah, very late. I think um, I, I pretty much agree with that. Um, Nurkic and Clay Thompson, Tyler, you've basically said stay away from both of them. Their injuries are too long. They're not gonna really going to matter in a head-to-head league, and you're they're probably going to be on a waiver wire anyway halfway through the season because the, whoever's holding on to them just isn't going to make the playoffs. And I mean, even in leagues with one IR spot, like it's dicey to grab a player like that because you're going to have to hold that player the whole season and assume no one else on your team gets hurt, especially if it's head to head where you got to, like Kyle said, rotate in those bench players. Um, it could be a real big issue if you're holding a Clay Thompson for, you know, three quarters or maybe even, you know, basically till your fantasy playoffs in that IR spot, you know, one or two of your other guys go down and then you're kind of in a real pickle and then you probably end up dropping Clay Thompson anyways, which just hurts you. Um, and you wasted that draft pick. So, yeah, I would probably stay away from those two guys um, full stop. Definitely. Kyle, I got kind of some lightning round questions to ask you. I think I, I said a few of them to you ahead of time, but I know you like to wing uh, the podcast as much as possible. Uh, that's why we like having you on. Uh, I'm just going to go and elaborate all you want, and we'll see where, where Try to keep this. it reined in. I, I no. Know I I don't want any. Usually, it's my job to ramble. I'm glad someone else is here to uh, to ramble much longer uh, than that I do, which makes me feel uh, like if Tyler and I were ever, uh, you know, if my if ever Tyler ever broke my heart and I had to get rid of him, I'm not sure me and you could do the podcast because it would go off the rails very very quickly. Oh, people would just be like, wait, are there two people on the show? Because it just sounds like one guy talking for like 50 minutes about, <laughs> you know, random sh- stuff. Um, anyway, hey, uh, Tyler, hold, hold oh, on one second. Ahead. Tyler, didn't you go say ahead, earlier ahead. that you had you had like a, a similar Zach Collins question about somebody? Yeah, this was a, on a much broader scale, though. So I will ask this question for you. Um, so Mike and I, our friend Mark Roberts has Mr. Zion Williamson ranked 18th in his um, 
projections. Um, Mar or, yeah, uh, let me start over. Uh, Mike and I have been kind of avoiding Zion Williamson in the third round, so I was wondering where you would take Mr. Zion Williamson this year in a fantasy draft because he's probably the person I get the most questions about because obviously people just see the dunks and get excited and they don't really have any idea how to rank this guy for fantasy. Um, I mean, I, his field goal percentage is just nuts. Uh, he was what he shoot like. 68% in college from the field. And now he's shooting, I think over 70% in so far oh, saw preseason. Oh, it's, it's just, it's nuts. Um, you know, you were probably going to have Zion be a, uh, negative at field at the free throw line, but he's going to be so dang good as field goal percentage that, it's look, he's he comes out ranked nineteenth in my cap ranking, so or for my projections. So I I guess I'm there with with Mark. Like he's a second round player uh, based on what we're seeing from the preseason and and uh, what we should probably be able to expect from. Him. Are you worried that he doesn't shoot many or any threes? Like I think so far this preseason, we've basically seen him almost exclusively attacking the basket, um, which I'm I'm worried that maybe there's next to no threes and projecting anyone to get elite defensive stats in their first season is always a little hairy for me. Um, I guess those are kind of the three concerns I have with them, but um, the, the steals look just, they, they look like they'll be there. And it's, I think watching him play and how much energy he plays with, how much of a ball hockey seems to be that it's fair to expect a decent amount of steals from him. Um, He's just so he's so fast, man. You know, like he's got so such quick twitch movements and and whatnot that I just don't think people are necessarily like they don't know what to expect. So it's possible that gets figured out a little bit or schemed schemed down. Like maybe maybe teams realize different ways to play him to make him take more difficult shots. So we don't see the extremely high field goal percentage that that we're seeing right now with him. Um, but I, it's it's hard to it's hard to discount them too because you watch the highlights and you you know you see the stats and then you check check it with the eyes too and you're like holy cow he just like stepped to the side of Rudy Gobert and made a really quick layup because Rudy Gobert didn't realize that somebody could move like that. <laughs> that was the most impressive one was when he was doing it against Rudy Gobert and you could tell Rudy Gobert was like hey man I know you're gonna try to dunk this ball so I'm going to be right here. And he was still getting it around him. So that was definitely very, very impressive. Um, yeah. The blocks though. I mean, has he blocked a shot this preseason? Like I, I may be, maybe a little bit oh, more. And that's probably just a reflection of like, you know, um, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s block rate was a lot lower last year than people thought it would be. And, and that's because he plays almost all power forward in the NBA. Um, or, you know, a, a lot of power forward in the NBA. So there's just not going to be as many opportunities to make blocks, which are generally going to happen close to the rim. Like, you know, it's, it's only freaks, freaks, like, uh, freak in a good way, Mitchell Robinson, who get tons of perimeter blocks. So, um, with, with Zion, he's just, I don't think he's going to be playing a lot of, a lot of center Minutes, so we're not going to see him have a lot of opportunities to necessarily get 
blocks unless it's in like a chase down kind of situation. And those are just inconsistent. So yeah, I'm not expecting a ton. Do you think that um, we probably should start looking at some of these players, especially like Zion Williamson, instead of being like, well, he's a, he's like a forward who doesn't hit threes. So like, that's not something I want. Or he's a, a center who doesn't get good blocks. So that's not something I want. And instead looking at them as just kind of like, oh, this is not, this is like a really good player who does these exact things. Kind of like people get hung up on Brooke Lopez. People are like, I don't want my center to not get rebounds. Well, it gets you two blocks and two threes. Who the hell else is doing that? I feel like almost like looking at them based on what their position is on some of these uh, sites is almost detrimental into properly like uh, analyzing them. I mean, it's it's um, it's good to recognize those things, though. I don't think it should scare you away from a player like like I look at Kristaps Porzingis, and if somebody wants to be like, oh, he doesn't give you enough rebounds for a center type player, it's like yeah, but he blocks a bunch of shots, hits a bunch of threes can is probably going to score you know 22 plus points a game um with a a lot of upside on that who knows where else he takes his game at age 24 so like there's i think i generally try i I look at players based on what they give me and i try not to focus too much on their negatives other than understanding that like if i do take a guy like chris has Przingis, i do need more rebounding from a a non-conventional position or from somebody who's a, a mass rebounder uh at the center position that's enough rebounds for you kyle what what do you that's enough what, yeah are you satisfied from the rebounds um you know that's just like such a <laughs> cuz here's yeah. here's here's my point about it I feel like, and the Mavericks are kind of scheming it, that his rebounds are going to go up. Because the Knicks, when he played for the Knicks, he mostly played with another center. There was Joakim Noah one year. There was Enos Cantor one year. Um, The Mavericks are scheming him to be the five and be kind of that man in the middle on defense. Um, And they have a couple more perimeter-oriented options to play beside him and Maxi Kleber and Dwight Powell that they're going to let kind of roam on the perimeter against the fours. And so I would not be surprised to see Porzingis average over eight rebounds a game for the first time in his career. 13 rebounds he got in like 27 minutes last night or the other night was pretty impressive. Um, might even and, been only like 22 minutes, wasn't it? I don't know. It was, um, it was many minutes. I think it was 23. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of scheming that. That's kind of the plan um, for him. So I would not be surprised at Luka, all. Luca gets a ton of rebounds too, you know, so... Uh, Yes, Luca. Luca and him are going to be the two primary rebounders on the team. I think, which is crazy to say. So like when you when you ask me uh, that whole rebounding question, like sometimes you know, like the the Russell Westbrook thing, that's going to be interesting to see how that all unfurls with the Rockets from a rebounding perspective. Because Russell Westbrook's the scheme for the Thunder was okay. Stephen Adams is going to box out and. And then Russell Westbrook is going to come in and get the rebound because we want to push the pace and it helps to push the pace. If you're having your ball handlers, just grab the ball off the glass and run um, rather than look for an outlet pass, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what the Rockets do if they incorporate more of that Russell Westbrook rebounding and running stuff, or if it's, if, Westbrook's still going to rebound well, but maybe not at the levels that we saw schemed for with the Thunder. 
made that case for Steven Adams too. I mean, kind of the inverse of that of, I think Adams is going to grab a couple more rebounds a game this year, just because I don't think, you know, the thunder are going to have someone who's going to attack the glass as hard as Russ did. So, and I think he made this comment like during their open practice or something like I had to remember to grab a couple of those rebounds because, you know, Russ wasn't there like right on my back, ready to grab it. And it's pretty amazing that Steven Adams has still been a, a, you know, a good rebounder or good to great rebounder, even with Westbrook there. So it'll be interesting to see if he be, he can do some really fun stuff in that regard this season. But I also kind of wonder, I'm like, well, if that's your, if that's your system and you've got competent ball handlers, like why not still ask them to do that? I mean, I, th- I th- think it's probably, if one reason why you say not to do that is because an acknowledgement that like, look, if we have our, our re our, our point guard constantly trying to go for the the rebound, then they're, they're not focused on playing one-on-one defense or guarding their guy, you know, off the ball and all this kind of stuff as much because they're also just, just hawking for that rebound. Um, that may be a, uh, I may have a, a faulty logic there in thinking that, but, no, yeah, no, just, because the, the it feels like the league has moved away from offensive board crashing. Uh, getting back going back that way, though. Do you think so? It's an extra possession, man. You know, like that was an advanced stat is something that is uh, attractive, but I think a lot of teams have uh, moved in the uh, considering the pace and space type of era that that we're in is that. Well, if teams are going to push the pace and they get the rebound and you're already under the ba- under our basket, like under their basket, you're not going to get back under our basket to stop any fast breaks. Just that, I think it's one of those things where it could um, you could see some teams lean into offensive rebounding because they see a lack of concern with it um, for other teams. So then they, you know, they think it's like a an inefficiency in the uh, in the. I can't think of uh, the right word right now. You got a zig in, instead of zag. But anyways. Um, I also wonder if that ends up hurting Clint Capella's rebounds with Westbrook there. I think it, it might um, in in Houston. And I kind of wanted to get to, I, I think we might talk about this in the lightning round. Uh, are you ready, Kyle? Yeah, let's do it, brother. Who are you taking number one overall? All towns. Ooh, Carl Anthony Towns. Um, are you worried about James Harden at all with Russell Westbrook in Houston? Not too much. Harden still Harden looks like he's he's like, no, nah, man, it's still my it's my ball first and my shots first. So um if anything, I'm worried about what Russell Westbrook. Um yeah, I'm not worried about James Harden. It looks like he's gonna get his. Um I like that. I think the top five is the top five, and we all know Yeah, that's just it. Like is. it's we I've I've had that, you know, who do you take number one overall conversation so much that it's like, it's just kind of tired because yeah, I agree. the top the top five are who they are and you can take any of them for whatever perspective you want to make up, but you're going to be fine and you'll build a, a good team around those guys. Um, And then, you know, six and seven, you're talking Jokic at six. And then at seven, a lot of people will say it's got to be Damian Lillard. I, I don't know, man. I, I I'm I'm a believer that Joel Embiid wants to play as many games as possible. So, um, you know, he played in back to backs last year. He just got injured. So, if he's healthy, then uh, I like Joel Embiid as a 
you you get to that seven spot and it, you just there's not a lot of fun picks there's you're going to be picking someone with a wart so yeah. the, the warts i like the most are, are joel Embiid's warts i guess and like i get it i get damian lillard i i get it but like the dude's best category is freaking free throw percentage and that just <laughs> is, obno- is obnoxious to me Hey, in a roto league that matters. Um, I could even be convinced that like, oh, LeBron's gonna have a, uh, a LeBron year, and it's like, well, he has a LeBron year every year. Like, that's fine. If you want those stats, go get them. Like, but then if you take cool. Damian Lillard in the first round in a rotisserie league, you're you're dealing with like a forty four percent field goal percentage that you have to make up for uh, over the you know with with the rest of your draft picks. That I don't know if I want to be starting out a rotisserie draft with a you know, a four percentage point hole I have to dig myself out of at field goal percentage. E- regardless of the fact that that Lillard's going to help me a ton in, in free throw percentage. Now, if if you know you can pair him with certain players to to negate that negative, um, double negative, um, then that's <laughs> fine. But uh, yeah. I don't know. It's four percentage points on one of the highest volumes too, which is, is worth mentioning, right? Like, I mean, he's shooting a ton of shots. And so that does put you definitely in a big hole in a rotisserie league. Certainly. Oh. Um, I, I think, I mean, I still think Damian Miller is probably a first, first round player where you take him in the first round. And I, I, I kind of agree. Like that seems to be who you take in the first round is always the question people ask. And I feel like the right question is, is like, who do you take in the fifth round? That's that's where you're gonna win the draft is in like the fourth through like seventh round, taking some swings, hitting some people. Um, have any, I guess, uh, biggest slips you've seen in the? You've done a lot of mock drafts. You've probably done a lot of real drafts by this point. Have you seen any like surprising slips, like somebody who's gone way too low in those middle rounds? Um. It just depends on the perspective of, of, of what league you're playing in. You know, if it's a head-to-head league and you don't have to, you know, you're doing a pump field goal percentage build, it, it's it's targeting guys like Terry Rozier that, like I talked about earlier, that's coming out at a great value. It's, it's targeting guys like Lonzo Ball, who's ranked at 91 on Yahoo, and who, you know, it, I mean, even if you get them at 50 or 60, it's just a tremendous value. Um, it's... uh. I think Thomas Bryant is falling in a lot of drafts further than he should. Um, especially Thomas Bryant is a wonderful target in your rotisserie drafts because he's going to be a good percentages guy. Um, look, looking like he'll, he'll carry that through this season after, after having a kind of a surprising year last year. And there's a lot of upside with, with Thomas Bryant. Um, you know, the wizards have certainly talked to a game about, playing their players fewer minutes and also developing several a lot of uh, you know pretty much their whole thing is development this year um so but understanding that and uh there's still the potential for scott brooks to decide like okay thomas bryant's one of my key guys i'm gonna give him 36 minutes a game i don't think that's gonna happen i think it'll be closer to like 30 to 32 but um, there is the potential under a Scott Brooks led team for, you know, the main guys to play just an absurd amount of minutes. That, this, that leads real nicely to my next question. Least favorite coach for fantasy. Not just to, I don't know if you have like a, Oh God, it's so easy. Against um, any other course, uh, any other coaches, but. 
I mean, it's it's in today's NBA. I, th- I feel like it's super easy, and and I would like to hear if you guys have anybody else. But I, I mean, I think I could almost say one, two, three, and we could all say Fizdale together. Oh, I was gonna say Fizdale. Come on, I was gonna do it. Sorry, the worst. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave open the, the the possibility of it being wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. But I don't, I don't know think who, there's a better. Who do you guys think? Who do you think, Tyler? Made it. They made the Fisdale thing even worse this year by giving him what eight power forwards to play. So now, you know, he's already proven that he doesn't like to do a very consistent rotation and he loves to switch the minutes on a nightly basis. And now he's got, you know, eight interchangeable pieces that he can do it with on a nightly basis. So yeah, I'm really concerned about that Knicks roster. And I think when we did the team preview, it was like 15 minutes because we really didn't know what to say because Fisdale can't make up his own mind. How are we going to make up his mind for him? Just said, I have no idea what's going to happen here. Have a great night. Question marks there in New York. Have you seen the nonsense about him playing RJ Barrett like 36 minutes a game in preseason? I want to know what your guys' take was on that. I actually sent Mike a message uh, after the first preseason game when he played like 39 minutes or whatever it was. And I was like, all right, Fizdale going for 39 minutes for the rookie in a preseason game. I don't even understand why that's the thing. Like I, that just made no sense to me. It was baffling. Like I get, you want to get him minutes, but no person should be playing 39 minutes. And yeah, last like, I don't even, and that made no sense. I'm not excited about that. I'm like 0% excited about that. Cause I, in no way, shape or form does that, mean that he's going to play rj barrett 30 you know 6 37 38 minutes a game during the regular season like it just it means literally nothing to me all it means is he's going to try to wear out this rookie who might actually have a good second half if he isn't exhausted and there's Pretty a lot- sure like a week before the season last year he came out and said kevin knox was a starter at small forward and then kevin knox did not start on on opening night it was something <laughs> dumb like that and, and that that was his mo all last year is he'd come out after the games and he'd make all these statements and then he would either change his mind or it, it was just it it was it was the most to, like to hold water for long that was the most frustrating thing for me is like, he would even say like, Oh, this person's starting for the next 10 games. And then maybe the next game he'd start that person. And then that person would be like at the end of the rotation in the second game. And you're going like, well, why, why even say that then? Like just, you know, it's your decision to make the the lineup. I get that. But like, don't come out and say, Oh, I'm doing this and then do something completely different. Like you said, like the, the front office made his job even harder this year than it was last year, because last year, Fisdale had a, a just trash roster with like Noah Vonley and Luke Cornett on it. And he still found reasons to play those guys over Mitchell Robinson for crying out loud. He, he found reasons to play Alfred Payton or no, no, I'm sorry. I won't. Sorry. Emmanuel Moutier, the other Alfred Payton, Emmanuel Moutier, <laughs> like as a starting point guard for like half the season, dude, there was an 18 game stretch where they lost every single game and Emmanuel Moody is starting and Emmanuel Moody is putting up, you know, efficient scoring and, and everybody's looking around going like, what is going on? Like, why is, why is Emmanuel Moody playing meaningful minutes consistently when they're losing their butt Every single night, it's like, dude. Even if you don't like F- Frank Nilakina's game, play him so people can see him, and maybe other teams will want to trade. Like, there's no, inv- there's, 
there's no future of the Knicks with Emmanuel Moutier. Like everybody should have known that last year. So the fact that these coaches or whatever get so caught up in the 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 day to day when like that's not how you op that's not the reality of basketball teams. Basketball teams you have to be thinking, you know, chess match wise in regards to like five moves down the far down the uh farting uh down the track, man. On the farting track. Um and then Frank Nielakina came out and had a really nice World Cup. So like obviously Fizdale. We should start on like a separate podcast about how shit Fizdale is and they would just be <laughs> it would be once a week we would just talk about how he shit the bed not just for the Knicks but for fantasy basketball uh, I got a few more lightning round questions uh, let's pretend these are 12, 12 team leagues for, for, the, for these questions uh, we come up with any other coach that was like just a horrible coach oh, to- oh I thought Mike was going to mention his man in Chicago um, just, co- uh, just to throw us off but Jim, well Jim Boylan is not a good NBA coach, but I feel like the rotation is going to be all right, except for our point guard. But like, that's fine. They'll just says pull my beer too much. He started a leadership committee and he was also in a headline with the word mutiny in it, which is the first time I've ever seen that in, in I think any sport. I mean, um, <sighs> may not like the amount of minutes that Kenny Atkinson gives his guys, but he's consistent in regards to the fact that he has an inconsistent rotation and he's consistent in regards to the ceilings that are possible for the players on his team for them. At least he has been in his first three seasons there. So um, Jim Boylan, I think for the most part, he's, He's fine. Uh, the Wendell Carter Jr. stuff last year was pretty frustrating, but there's probably more nuance to that than what I think we knew in the moments. Um, and there's also a lot of foul issues that maybe just weren't handled in the way that I would have preferred them to be handled. But I also just <laughs> like when you're when you're when you're not playing for anything like they weren't last year. It's like stop worrying about whether or not a guy has you know four or five fouls. If he has six fouls. Don't worry about that either because he's not playing. Get him the experience. I understand that Robin Lopez is like a more mature and um, kind of more vital piece to like winning a basketball game. Wendell Carter Jr. is the future of the uh, of that position. Um, the thing that I'm going to get really frustrated about this year, and I, I already feel it happening, is when I'm watching a Bulls game and Lowry Markadon's taking like 12 shots throughout the entire game. Like that's gonna piss me off if they're not running the ball through Larry Marketing. And that's I'm they did say this preseason, like apparently Boylan said to Levine and Markinen, like, you guys take all the shots. Like, do everything. So at least he gave them that directive. Hope that happens. Um oh, dude, I think Levine could end up being like a thirty point scorer this year and just like uh, like I'm not saying he's going to score 30 points, but I'm, uh, he could score a lot more than what people think. Like he could end up being a 28 point scorer, you know, looking a lot more like Devin Booker than Zach Levine. Um, nope, that's so not to say that he... I think that Levine is as good as Devin Booker because he's not. Oh, definitely not. But I, I kind of hope that Levine starts heading in that direction, obviously. Um, and also starts taking, uh, he's really, he seems to be con- interested in taking mid-rangers for some reason um i'm not even going to get into that whole 
Twitter beef. Um, oh, well, we'll see what happens with the Bulls. I'm going to be going to well, too, that, dude, too many games. Kevin Durant's awesome on Twitter right now. The fact yeah. that he comments on like NBA writers, like who was he? Who was he commenting back and forth with? He was actually having a conversation. HP basketball. With, yeah, that was so yeah. cool. And well, said, that was like, a very bring, solid conversation. Don't bring grass to a basketball conversation or whatever he said. Like nobody wants to look at grass. Um, that was part of like an organic and very like cordial conversation. And then I flipped to you know like headlines, and the, like that tweet was the headline, and I was like. Well, I know I understand that tweets the headline, but everyone's just going to be like, oh, fucking analytics. Oh, Kevin Durant. Instead of being like, oh, the actual nuanced conversation that these two had was pretty was actually pretty good and civil. That's what you get for being someone who looks at uh, primary uh, resources and uh, as in, you know, the actual tweets. All your references. There's actually it's probably a good uh, word of advice. All right, we got a few more, Kyle. Uh, give me two your your favorite two young breakouts. You know, maybe second, third year players. Uh, no, I think Shea Gill just is going to be awesome um, on the Thunder, and especially if Chris Paul gets traded at some point. I've been encouraged by the fact that he's been so uh, given kind of the keys in regards to being told to be aggressive, trying to score the ball for the Thunder because the Thunder definitely need players to to score. Um, with Wesley Westbrook going and Paul George going, they've got Chris Paul and Daniel Gallinari trying to carry the load on offense. So there's just there's room there for Shea to take on a, a bigger scoring load than what most people would expect. Um, and he's so crafty around the rim. Man, if you watch some Shea Gilgis highlights, and he's, he's not like a – he's kind of got a – I don't know, classic um, rhythm in some respects, but like when he takes it to the rim and he does these little contortions to get, to get the angles that he gets to get uh, an awesome layup, man, it's fun. So Shea Gildas is in a good situation. I think that um, there's upside for his rebounds. If they decide to have him grab the rebound, like, like what Russell Westbrook did on the Thunder. I think there's tremendous upside for his minutes this year because traditionally Billy Donovan's given his key players like 36 minutes a game. If I've only got Shea Gill just projected for 34 right now, but like knowing that 36, 37 minutes per game is a possibility for somebody on a team that's bereft of competent talent. Um, especially if Chris Paul gets traded at some point or if Daniel Gallinari goes down with an injury as he uh, has done often in his career. So it's, um, yeah, man, I just, I feel like there's a lot of potential for Shea Gill just to, to step out and do a much bigger role on the, the Thunder this year. Uh, it's been a little bit disconcerting though, to see him spend so much time playing next to Dennis Schroeder because it's, it's left a lack of assists um, production so far this preseason it's something to be concerned about from a fantasy perspective wow i just talked a lot about shea gilgis alexander um but you asked me about two we talk a lot we we talk a lot about shea gilgis alexander on here so don't feel bad at all about that um a second breakout player this year (laughs) sugar plums um you know i there's a part of me that wants to talk more about zach collins but we've already done that so i've already mentioned dario sharich uh dwayne bacon with the uh yeah, Dwayne Bacon with the the Hornets. Uh, P.J. Washington looks like he might be stealing a starting job with the Hornets, so he's a got to take a flyer on. 
I hope you that might be answering my next question, what your favorite last picks are, because like these sound like they go, like, man. Big round picks. Great, great call. Um, yeah, any any more like PJ? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know what? It's funny. I, I was really big on Davies Bertans as a as a late pick uh, early in the preseason and and coming into everything, but then Justin Anderson starts at small forward and. Rui Hachimura seems to have the lock on the the power forward job, starting power forward job. So that's one to actually consider in the in the later rounds is Rui. Um, you know, Brandon Ingram falls late. Andrew Wiggins falls late. I know they aren't like sexy picks, and they don't necessarily contribute a lot outside of kind of scoring. But they, uh, it, who knows how they're used on a new team or how how Ingram's necessarily used on a new team. Maybe maybe there's some. Uh, expanded production for him in, in certain respects, or maybe he gets at put in a position to actually do something defensively. Um, oh, sugar plums. Yeah. There's, uh, I'm trying to think of more guys. Chetty Osman on the, on the calves. I think under Jim B line, uh, look, there's just, somebody's got to do something on that Cavs team. Somebody. Yeah, it, there's a ton so, of like really good late picks. Like I, I've, I've been hanging around Dario Sarge a lot. Um, I, I have Ryu Hachimura, even in like a kind of a shallower league. I just think like the playing time is there. Um, I, just I don't think there's like, like too much talent at point guard and, and he's, uh, he's available late too. Yeah. Uh, I, I almost think there might be too, too much talent, uh, hanging around. I think that makes for an interesting waiver wire and it makes for a, um, I like an interesting waiver wire makes for, I think a very good league because, you know, those last few spots on your bench should be used to stream if you're in a head-to-head league. And even if you're in a roto league, you should be like looking for ways to boost your categories and stuff like that. So I, I really, um, I really like that the league is deeper and has, has this much talent in it. Um, Tyler, uh, where, where would you take uh, your brother, the hero? Is, is he worth taking as a flyer right now? Um, do you I'm actually Tyler think hero? he's going to, He's going to hold down the uh, starting job, or what do you think is going to happen with Hero after his uh, impressive preseason performance? Well, um, rookies always a, a little bit, you know, scare me in the sense that uh, we, we're not not really sure what level they're going to play. At. I have been very impressed by Tyler Hero both in the summer league and so far this preseason. Um, fine, late like last round pick, right? Um, I have a feeling he's going to be more of a Shea Gilgis type, where he kind of starts off slow, bad percentages just struggles a little bit. And then as the season goes on, he picks it up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, so I, I might not want to super like draft him and hold him, but I feel like if you did draft him and hold him, you'd get a great value at the end of the season. I, uh, I came up with another question. Rest of year, Tyler hero, Brandon Clark, or uh, Matisse Tybold. Um, I think Matisse Thibel is probably going to put up the most cool, consistent production just from like being a valuable threes, I mean, sorry, steals streamer. Um, Brandon Clark's looked, looked good in his minutes, but, um, he, Jonas Valanciunas hasn't played in the preseason. The The expectation is that Valanciunas is going to be healthy. And if, if Valanciunas is healthy, it's just going to be hard for Brendan Clark to get consistent big minutes that allow him to put up consistent production for standard leagues, in, in my opinion. 
there's any injury there with JJ or or Jonas, like that's uh, he's going to be a really quick grab. And also JJ gets in a little bit of foul trouble still. So like, you know, there is opportunity there. Yeah, but it's (laughs) like, there might be a lot of nights where he plays 18 minutes and does nothing. Yes, that would be very depressing. that's why I'm saying, like, you know, if if he if it looks like he's gonna have a bigger role than expected, stream him, grab him as a flyer, hang on to him for a little bit. But like, uh, if we think Valanciunas is gonna be healthy, it's hard to see a a path to enough minutes for Brandon Clark to be consistently useful in, especially ten team leagues, maybe twelve team. But I just feel like they need Valanciunas's ability to score and rebound on that team. Like, if they don't have his scoring, like. Who the hell is going to score the ball for that team? Well, yeah, I mean, it would be fun to see them have to force Jaron Jackson Jr. into being a 20-point scorer per game, but, um, I, you know, I there's part of me that thinks he could do it, too. He just, he's, a, he's a willing shooter. As, you know, he, he, as awkward as he looks, he's a willing and efficient shooter. I would... I would actually love to just see the John ja Morant and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. thing. But, you know, it's so frustrating to see Jaron Jackson get into foul trouble already this preseason. But maybe if if, if Valentin is healthy, as he's supposed to be, then playing at power forward should help keep Jaron Jackson on the floor more. I hope they figure it out. I bought uh, a lot of Jaron Jackson Jr. stock last season. Um, and I'm always, I'm always like, like three years – two, three years early. I was a little early on Millsap. Uh, actually, Mo Harkless never hit, so I wasn't early on him. Um, Oladipo, etc. cetera. Uh, Tyler, do you got any questions for uh, Kyle that we can, we can cover? Uh, no, I think that about covers it. We've taken too much of Kyle's time already, probably. Um, probably it was a great right. chat. All tired. Yeah, that's no, enough fantasy basketball for the day. I'm going to go write an article about it now. <laughs> <laughs> it is that time of the year. It is almost draft time, uh, and this is the busiest time for uh, for you, Kyle. Uh, so, Kyle, where can people find you? Where can people hit you on Twitter? And what yeah, um, out? follow me on Twitter at Roto Kyle NBA, and um, I work at Basketball Monster. If you'd like to check that out, it's just basketballmonster.com. Uh, we have awesome tools. We've got if you know if you want to. We are a subscription site that you can use for projections and uh, all of the different tools that we have for managing your fantasy basketball teams. Um, but also, uh, oh, sugar plums. I'm, now I'm just getting really tired. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not a salesman. <laughs> yeah, the ra- the rankings are free on Basketball Monster. I've used Basketball oh, yeah. Monster for yeah, a lot, definitely. a lot of years just for free. I definitely like during the season, like come check out the, uh, the box scores are amazing. Cause they're all like, they're catered to be for fantasy. So like it, like through f- when you're looking at a box score and you're looking at the team, it orders the players based on the fantasy value. And if you have your league put into the site, it actually like does it for your fantasy value for your league. And then it can also show you whether or not they're available. Yada, yada, yada. Anyways, it's, it's cool stuff, man. Still well, brother. They- they got a lot of like awesome stuff as far as DFS tools too. If you're into playing that game, um, they're they're one of the best. Basketball Monster is where it's at. Kyle McEwen is even more where it's at. Follow him, Roto Kyle NBA on Twitter. You can follow Tyler at Tyler P. Watson. You can follow me at Watch the Boxes. We appreciate you guys uh, hanging in there for the state of fantasy basketball. 
Um, we will catch you very soon next time with more special guests and maybe even a mock draft. We'll see you soon, guys. Thanks.